I would like to look. Okay, week five. Thank you, thank you. Welcome, welcome to week five, the story of uh, the power of true love, a two-for-one story. So here's the good news for me. I got you for two weeks in a row, so I'm two-for-one for you. How's that? <laughs> or one-for-two. I don't know how you would want to put that. But I do want to tell you another story, a two-for-one story, a tale of two daughters. Sit back and relax. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a mother who had two daughters, and one was going to get married um, in August of 2018. And the other one, who uh, had been trying for three long years to conceive a baby, conceived a baby somewhere about around January. And we did the math, which meant pregnant daughter one would be giving birth right around the time of married daughter two. And we just hoped that since her due date was two or three weeks out that we would be safe. We knew that there would be a lot of tulle on the puffy bridesmaid gown. And she would have a hard time celebrating good times come on. But we were okay. At least these were two wonderful things. Of course, those months before both of those occasions are full, full of activity. You know, showers and parties and meeting the in-laws and all the sorts of things. And it was a very full summer. In addition to that, I moved my mother from Arizona, and she moved in. So there's that, too. Um, so it was a very, very full year, full year. But we were anticipating all these things being good until the Wednesday night before the wedding when I picked the marrying daughter up from the airport. And she went for her bridal fitting. She lives out of state, and it didn't fit. So we had to do that again. That meant Thursday we would do that, and then we'd do the nails, and then we'd pick up the bridesmaids, all that stuff. And when I went to bed that night, I was... Um, uh, full of a list, a list in my head, you know. Michelle just told us to make lists of things to let go of, so <laughs> I was not letting go of these. These had to be done, of course. And I said to my daughter, who was going to be married, your sister's blood pressure is iffy, and she's, she's not going to be able to come to the wedding. But I didn't tell her till that day, because we were sad. And we worked through that as well. And so we all went to bed, feeling sad and heavy and waited on with all the things we had to do. But... Um, at 3 in the morning, the phone rang, which is always a good sign. And my father picked it, my, uh, my father, my, my husband picked it up and he said, Oh, yeah? Oh, now? Oh, wow. Of course, I am bolt upright. What are you saying? Oh, Amy's going in for an emergency C-section and she's calling for you. So, of course, I'm out of bed in my clothes, and my husband said, I just want to take a shower first. <laughs> so we get in the car. We're heading there because she's going to Barrington. And it's just far enough away. There's a lot of lights on Randall. Can I say that? <laughs> but all of them were green because it's the middle of the night. Nobody's out. So we speed up, the, up, not, up, up uh, Randall Road and get toward the... Barrington and get, are getting close and we're like five minutes away and we are just so nervous because um, mom's in peril and baby's in peril. So grandma's in peril. The only thing I could say to myself, to the Lord, I had my face against the window and my husband was driving and he said, Lord, help my baby. Lord, help her baby. Lord, help my baby. Lord, help her baby. And then we get into Barrington, and the arm comes down on a railroad crossing. Oh, oh no. Stops us dead in their tracks. And I cried. I just couldn't stand it. I just cried. 
And my husband's phone is up on the dash. And just at that very minute, this came through. Bing! Oh. Right? Oh. <laughs> right? For all of those of you listening at home, this is a picture of my brand new grandchild with my very much okay being helped daughter and her husband, John. That is my, my sweet oh. baby, Junery. And I have to tell you, and I know this is trite, but being a grandmother is like, Amazing, because there is some distance between um, you and the birth experience, which allows you to appreciate the miracle. Um, and here is how it looks when you encounter your miracle for the first time. Oh, I love that picture because it is everything. Uh, just that unbelievable gazing upon that thing. But yet, I had a, a wedding to throw in. <laughs> Thirty-six hours. So. Of course, we were up all night that night and taking people back and forth to the hospital down Randall Road when there were not all green lights. Back and forth all day, Thursday, to the you know fittings, Friday, the people are coming in, you're going to the wedding. And I, I was very exhausted at the wedding. And I was just so torn between the places I was and the places I wanted to be, which was both places. Yeah. And you can't be in both places at once. And there's no way to reconcile that in your heart unless, of course, you're Jesus who can be in two places at once. And he can always be there at the right time. So this week, we studied Mark 5, 21 through 34. Tale of two daughters, I say. <laughs> and the text for this is in, the, uh, in your book on page 141. If you want to look at that, uh, we're going to look at a little bit of the text. But I thought that the author did a wonderful job of really taking us into the, some of the rhythm and beauty and poetry of, of these two events. <clears throat> which I have to say, I've always enjoyed, but never noticed. I never noticed the patterns here. And she did a wonderful job. So I'm going to just recap a little bit. We're going to talk about the, the non-identical twin stories here. We have the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter. And we have both of them being females and both of them being called daughter, which I think is especially interesting since we saw how Jesus referred to his mother once and called her what? woman. This is a tenderness in which he calls her daughter. It's different, and our author talks about that deep gut-level compassion that he has. Um, she is weakened by illness. We know that. She has been suffering for 12 years. I mean, that's a long time, ladies, to be bleeding, I'm just saying. The blood is leaving her body, a symbol of death. Life is in the blood, blood leaving. You are en route to death. That's why you're an untouchable. She reached out to touch Jesus. He commands her to go in peace because he's healed her. And her life is restored. And Jairus' daughter, also a female called daughter, also weakened and near death. In Matthew and Luke, she is actually already dead. Mark's version said she's near death. She is 12 years old. Think about what 12 years old is on a girl's body. We can see where we already have a tie of blood in these two stories. Her life is leaving her body. Jesus reached out to touch her. He commands her to get up and eat. Now, this, this command, get up and eat, very interesting, right? But I thought, it made me think, when did Jesus bringing death, pushing death off and taking on life, 
need to eat. And do you remember in Luke when they said, is he alive, is he a ghost? And he did what? To prove himself alive? Ate. He's telling us. This is a pattern. When you're newly born, you are newly born. Here you are in your body, in your flesh, eating. This is a whisper of God's message to us that I never noticed before. And her life is, of course, restored. Very many things, not identical, but very similar. Like Lorreen and her sister. She told me they're not identical, but they are very similar. <laughs> but I want you to look at the first words of this passage. Because I think the author did such an amazing job of really getting us down deep in there, and you'll have more discussions on this piece in your small group. This is what I saw. I want you to read these yellow words with me. On your market set, go. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd was gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Now, what struck me when I was reading this over and over again was those first, that first line up there, when Jesus had crossed again. Jesus had crossed again. Okay, so he's by the sea again. We've had a lot of sea miracles. And if you look back in Mark, you'll see that he has come from calming the sea and then throwing a bunch of pigs over the side that are demon-possessed. Do you remember those two things that he did? Okay. So again, he has moved across. Now, I think there's some geography that would be helpful. So I gave you a map because all the cool kids like maps. I thought this was the neatest tool because it had a lot of answers to questions that are coming up to me when I'm preparing for this time with you. Like, where on the sea is he crossing? And it, where is he crossing to and from and how often and how much? And you can see the, the picture right there of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is crossing over it many times. And then in your chart above there, you'll see all the miracles that are occurring in and around the sea and their correspondence to the Gospels and the other Gospel writers. Now, I mentioned that we're studying Mark today. And Mark's, if you look down Mark's column on your list there, you'll see that Mark's are pretty chronological. This chart has been set up in accordance to the chronology of Mark. The same chronology does not exist in all the Gospels, and you'll see that. They jump around verse to verse and around. But you will also see the great similarity between Mark and Matthew and Luke. Can you see the overlaps in so many of those? Yes. Now, the one place that it doesn't overlap so much is John. And John has a different point of view and a different reason for writing his gospel. It is understood that Matthew and Mark um, were copies of uh, one another's information, that, that Mark probably wrote his first because he was traveling with Peter and getting firsthand reports from Peter as well. Peter, of course, had been one of the 12. Mark had not been one of the 12. Um, but he has, he's getting firsthand reports from Peter and they are writing these things down. His grammar is iffy, and when Matthew writes some of these same stories, he improves the grammar so they think it's in that order, not for sure. Um, I hate to be known by my bad grammar, but it could happen. <laughs> they are um, in the, on the sea. There are so many references to the sea, to that particular sea, although they don't always go by the same name. We, of course, we have the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, which is what it's called now, uh, the Lake of Genesaret. On the Old Testament, it's also called the Lake of Genesaret and just plain the lake or the Sea of Chinnereth. Uh, you can find that in Numbers and Joshua and uh, the Sea of Chinnereth. 
So there's a lot of words for this body of water, but it is an essential body of water. We just sang in our worship time today about water a couple of times in two songs. This is a huge picture. Jesus is actually walking out himself. He's like saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man sees a person hurting, and he crosses to the other side to make things better for him. Let me tell you again, people. A man sees people hungry, and he crossed to the other side. And they're like, yeah, why is he on the boat? What's he doing? Jesus crossed to reach us. He crossed, and then he crossed again, and then he crossed again, and he is still crossing. He's going to cross whatever it takes. He's going to cross the long, dark train of death that I got stuck behind to get to where he needs to be. He is crossing, he is crossing, he is crossing. And in the scriptures, we see this proven in the cross. He crossed. Now, he crossed other things as well. He crossed geography, of course. He crossed hygiene when he touched the lepers. He crossed social norms. And he's crossed gender. And I'm just going to have this one little comparison of water and women. One of the first things Jesus did, his first miracle that we read read about on the first week, out of the book of John, and only out of the book of John, is the miracle of water to wine. And I saw so many things here of water and women. And one thing that struck me very um, acutely this time was that in in this dynamic between man and woman, mother, woman, shows man the problem. I don't mean that as a, as a, we are the neck ladies, you saw the movie, we are the neck. We show man the problem, and man has to determine his right course. In this encounter, unlike with Adam and Eve, the right course was decided by the man. And the mother, the woman, deferred to the man. She said, do whatever he says. She didn't say, do whatever I say. Do whatever he says. And in this way, he's reversing that dynamic. And he says, this holy water will become wine. And this is the cup of the New Testament, which has been given to you. No, I I put those two things together. Because I never saw them together before. And here they are. I see Jesus saying, I'm living water, I'm the wine. Again, a living parable. He was whispering his name the whole time. And we're thinking it's about the wedding party. And it's really about himself, because really everything is about himself. That's why the right answer in church is always, give it to me. Jesus. Yeah, you got it. Okay. <laughs> and then John 4, 1 through 30, again, only in John, we see the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. We don't see a miracle in the sense that he's changed water into wine at this point. But we do see an, a miraculous crossing, because Jesus is crossing over gender barriers, He's crossing over religious barriers, and he's actually crossing over geographical barriers because he's in Samaria where they could have gone around. I think it was Gretchen who told us they most often would go around. But he went into and across where he would encounter the Samaritan woman. And she's, of course, sitting at a well, and the well is full of what? Water. Mm-hmm. Makes me thirsty. So here's the woman at the well, and Jesus sees all that she's ever done, and, and she recognizes that there is something amazing in the man. The same, the same way she, the, the disciples on the boat said, who is it that can stop the waves? Who is this? And she says, who is this that can tell me everything I ever did? And here's the miracle of crossing over in her life. She goes from outcast 
to evangelist. Because she takes her whole life story, which everybody is sniggering about and knows for sure, and tells them, this guy knows everything I ever did. Come see. And they're like, we thought we knew everything you ever did. She has announced, she has put away, she has put away the shame, she's put away the stigma, she's put away the isolation, and she's come toward her people and then come back with her people toward Jesus. It's an amazing crossing over. And it happened over water. And it happened over with a woman, which I just thought was cool. And that particular well was Jacob's well, um, deeded to Jacob, back in uh, Genesis, where his father gave him this land, and then he builds a well on it. It is a well that would have belonged in the line of Israel all along. So he gets to use, again, living water to refresh this woman. So there's lots of life-giving crossovers in the Bible, especially life-giving water crossovers. And I know you know this first one, right? From slavery to safety, from wandering to welcome, and from life to lifted up. Go ahead and write those references because I did not include them on your sheet. So slavery to safety, Exodus 12 through 14. That's chapters 12 through 14, which is why I don't have it printed on the board. From wandering to welcome, Joshua chapters 1 through 3. And 2 Kings chapter 2 for life to lift it up. All right, so here's our first one. From slavery to safety. In Exodus, of course, you know this. You've seen this on Technicolor. Um, Moses um, has his, the people of Israel are suffering under the rule of Pharaoh. Many plagues are threatening to take them. This final plague of death is coming to the entire region. And so God tells Moses to tell the people, Mark your doorway, your threshold, the thing you'll cross over with blood of a pure and spotless lamb, and then we will cross over the Red Sea by my power. And so from slavery and death and plagues and sickness, they're moving on to safety. Now, I wish they were moving straight into the promised land because nobody likes to suffer for 40 years, but it's going to happen. Because there's more to be done than just to get to the, just to get across the water. There's some water-type cleansing that needs to go on in the hearts of, of men. And probably no surprise, since they've been living amongst pagans for so many years. And then he goes, crosses, uh, we see a crossing from wandering to welcome. This story is in the book of Joshua. And um, Joshua is now moving the people, after all the many years of purification in the desert, into the promised land. And he has to cross the Jordan, very famous river that's connected, by the way, to both the Lake of Genesaret or the Sea of Galilee and the Red Sea. Um, or the, yes, I think it's the Red Sea. It might be the Dead Sea. It's the Dead Sea. Yeah, it's the Dead Sea. Which is a good thing, because it's going to go with my story. So here we go. So he is wandering. He's going to move into the Promised Land. They're going to cross the Jordan. And the waters are in the way. So Elijah, so uh, Joshua hears from God, take the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's um, covenant with you, the promise that I've made with you and that people, and take it into the middle of the water, and then the water will move away, and all the Israelites can walk past it. And so they take the symbol of their relationship with God, and they stand in the water, and it moves, and everybody walks past. And he says one more thing, take 12 stones, and mark this time. And everybody, you walking through, take 12 stones. Oh, that 12, it really sounds familiar to me. <laughs> 12 is the fullness of time. 12 is literally 
our fullness of time. 12 hours in the day, 12 hours in the night. 12, hours was the t 12 years was the time it took for Jesus to come and rescue this woman. 12 years, it was the time for Jesus to come and rescue that child. 12 is the number of completion. And if you look it up, you're going to see it 147 times. That should be good bedtime reading for you. 12 is a very significant number. So anyway, he's, got, he's telling the, these folks to come through on dry land. So we have this amazing crossing from wandering in the desert to a welcome to their promised land led by Joshua. And last one, life to lift it up. Less common than the first two, pretend, potentially, if you're me. I uh, haven't spent as much time studying Elijah and Elisha. And frankly, I forget which one is which a lot. So I'm going to clear it up for you because my job here is to tell you what God taught me, period. And this is what he taught me. So Elijah is the prophet. He's been um, trying to get the people to behave correctly. Of course, like any prophet, they're only listening some of the time when it behooves them. But it's his time to leave. And he has been mentoring Elisha to be his next, next, um, the next prophet for the land. And I love some of the writing. I, I love some of the um, language. I'm going to read this to you because I just I love it. Um, this is from 2 Kings 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, I think he's trying to go away and die. Parenthetically, Cheryl said that. As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel together. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know what the, that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And Elisha replied, Yes, I know, so be quiet. <laughs> and then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me now to Jericho, another city. And he replied, um, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went to, up to Elijah and at Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master today? Everybody got your hands ready? <laughs> yes, I know, he replied. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and the left, and the two of them crossed over dry ground. They essentially stopped the flow into the Dead Sea. Just a thing. <laughs> And they crossed, and Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha says, oh, let me have a double portion of your spirit. Let me be the inheritance. Let me be you and then some. Elijah answers, you have asked a difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. I wonder what that means. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. I think that's a thing. <laughs> and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, and Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. 
And then he took hold of the, his garment and tore it in two. And then Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and the left, and he crossed over. Ah! I love it. Why didn't I ever notice the crossed over before? It's such a big deal. And every time someone's crossing over, something new and good and fresh and beginning is happening. And that thing for Elisha is he's now becoming fully the prophet of Israel. <clears throat> but in the meantime, remember this picture, uh, Rhonda? In the, I still can't find all those dis- disciples. He says are in this, this picture of the, of the storm at sea. But in the meantime, we are promised troubled waters and also the one who can calm them. So some of the things we're, some of the troubles we're going to see. We are going to be suffering in good company. There's good news, right? Misery does love company, and we're going to be suffering in good company. In Philippians, it says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves worthy in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That's a nice little message. I want that in my fortune cookie. <laughs> for just as here from 2 Corinthians 1.5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so our comforts abound through Christ. And this one, which is very well known, in this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome. Oh, I have come over? Oh, the world. John 16.33. Lots of different kinds of trouble, and I'm sure some of it's in this room because some of it's in every room. Anybody having trouble with a family member who might be suffering from some dementia or losing his ability to be together with anyone? If there is anyone, I have this lovely little book that I had on my dresser for two months called Ponder Lake. My friend's daughters wrote it, and I bought two, and I said, Lord, who do you want me to give this to? This is a book about dementia. It's written in poetic form. You don't have to be a child to... To read it, but if you have a family member or a, anyone you know that would appreciate hearing just a few words of loving comfort, I'm going to leave that here. You can get that afterward. Somebody in this room needs that, maybe. And if not, I'll wait till God shows me who. Thank you, Marla. There you go. There you go. All right. In addition to, in the meantime, this is what I call the meantime, the time between, you know life and death and resurrection, it can sometimes be mean time. And so we are suffering is certainly mean time. But we also have work to do in the world during this time. A letter to the exiles, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 7. This is a great passage where Jeremiah is telling the people who are exiled from the land that they would love to be in what to do while you're there. And that's us. Because the land we'd love to be in is crossing over. But the land we're in is right here. So here's what to do in the meantime. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Just not on the same weekend. And increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We have work to do. It's good work. It's given to us. And a letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote. Oh, to, to them and to us. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He's equipped us to be here. It's just not always that fun. And another problem we're going to have is trials and temptations in our midst. Um, this is from Jeremiah, a little further down on that letter. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Ooh, is it hard to know whose voice to listen to these days? Nothing new under the sun. And John tells us the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's a contrast here. The trials and temptations. We're supposed to discern what is a temptation toward evil and what is a, a call to good. But it's sometimes hard to recognize. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. Or as our Bible, as our author says, they're octopuses. Did you see that where he compared Satan to an octopus? Which I thought was weird because this is the cuddly toy I bought my grandchild for Christmas. <laughs> I gave her Satan as a present. So I, I was thinking about that. I thought, well, that's kind of a weird analogy, honestly. And then, as it would happen, Sunday morning, have you ever seen that, new C that show, CBS, Sunday morning? It's on before church. They had this piece on um, If you're an octopus or a cephalopod, you need to really understand how to use your surroundings to hide. In the next scene, you're going to see a nice coral bottom. And you see that an octopus would stand out very easily there if you couldn't use your camouflage, use your skin to change color and texture. Here's some algae in the foreground, and an octopus. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Now Roger spooked him so that he took off, a cloud of ink, lands, and when he lands, the octopus says, look, I've been seeing, best thing to do is get as big as I can get. That big brown makes his eye spot very big. So he's bluffing, let's do backwards. I thought he was joking when he first showed it, so I thought it was all graphics. So here, here it is in reverse, watch the skin color, Watch the skin texture, just an amazing animal. Can change color and texture to match the surroundings. Watch them blend right into this algae. One, two, three. And now he's gone and so am I. Thank you very much. Cool, right? Can we always tell what information is true and good and righteous? And and what information is completely false and hiding and making itself bigger than it is? No, thank goodness we have our knees. Because <laughs> we need to be humble to the one who can tell us. And I believe he informs our spirit every time we open his word. Because I'll tell you what, when I came into this lesson this week, I thought, what am I going to teach? The, the author taught it all. But then he showed me those two words, crossed over. And I thought it went crazy. So here's a big crossover. Isaiah 51, 10 and 11. Was it not you, Isaiah is saying to God, who dried up the sea, the waters of the great depth, who made the depths of the sea a way for, to, for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. I believe you have the wrong reference for this verse on your, on your handout, so go ahead and make sure that you have the correct one. It's at the very bottom. That one's right. I think uh, the Corinthians one is wrong. All right. So you can see here we have on this side of things, we have joy even in the suffering, and we have hope for what's coming next. That's what he says. He's saying, do you know what's coming? I mean, I'm going to ransom you, and I'm going to take you. You're going to pass over, and I'm going to take you where you want to go. And here's the, here's the victory statement. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? 
sting. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one that's reference needs changing, I believe. That is a hallelujah. I want to hear it from y'all. Hallelujah. hallelujah. All right. We can get all Jesus-y in here. It's where we do. All right. And, of course, Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, the promise from those letters I was reading earlier says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in the future, plans for you to prosper and not be harmed. That is our hope. That is our abundance. That is our future look. So to wrap this story up, one end to the other, I'm going to tell you another story about twin miracles. So this is my sweet June Marie, born about 14 months ago. And if you want more pictures, I have a whole slideshow we can stay on. <laughs> and one, one weekend when her parents were off celebrating and I was enjoying having her and they were all relaxed because, you know, they were finally getting a weekend away from a one-year-old and it hadn't been the easiest of years. And, um, well, they weren't that careful, so here's what's happening. Oh, boy. Yay. She's having twins. <laughs> Buy one, get two free, says the boot sign, and she is having twins. So needless to say, this story really resonated with me because it was the tale of twin miracles. And I believe right there inside my sweet Amy are two more twin miracles. So you can pray for her with me right now, okay? We'll end in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you reveal things to us every day, that you help us to think, see things differently and better through your eyes. And it is your word that is life. So, Father, as we wait for the now and later, as we wait to cross over, Lord, help us in our, our striving and our struggling and our ability to re resist temptation, but also to look forward with joy to what you have in store for us, including twin granddaughters and sons. Grandsons. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you heard me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.